Hello, world. Welcome back to Golf Subpar with Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz. Coming off the Sanderson Farms Championship, where Mackenzie Hughes is your winner in a playoff over Sepp Straka. Congratulations, Mackenzie. First win in almost six years. His second in his career on the PGA Tour. But Sepp Straka, this guy is knocking on the door. He's turned into a hell of a player. Little sneaky, monstrous year ever since, I guess, the Honda last year, where he won. You know, Shane Lowry was in a good spot there. The weather came in. Sepp ends up winning that thing. And then he's just gone on to, like, he's a guy that I think rewind a year ago people saw his name on top of the leaderboard like who's that all the dudes from georgia knew him you know could we talked to him like this kid's really good and now i feel like the world's starting to get to know him but he's been up there a bunch of times he's close to rattling off a handful of wins in the last year and being right there but uh props to mckenzie hughes like you said been six years been working on a little distance training a little speed training like a lot of the other guys out there add a little pop to his driver he rolls the shit out of it always has rolled it and i gotta think honestly Last week, two weeks ago, President's Cup, he was a name that was right there for a long, long time. Top 10 on those points list. Then you get all the guys that go to live. The team opens up a little bit more. He was a guy that, I don't know if snub is the right word, um, but was fully expecting he had a good chance to be on that team. Didn't, and he lives in the city of Charlotte. So we had to sit there and watch it all happen, all that. That had to be a little bit of a motivator for him, I would think. Yeah, a little bit of a stinger for sure. Also, a pretty good week in football. Your TCU Horn for all oh stay undefeated. God. They're actually going to be a part of game day this coming weekend for the first time ever. Pat McAfee, college game day. All the boys in will be Lawrence. headed to Lawrence, Kansas. Lawrence, that football squad, they get a lot of game days come basketball season. They haven't seen a lot um, during football season. But how about those boys, man? 5-0 and o over there. Frogs coming off just a, just a boat racing of OU. Mm -hmm. That's not a team we clip. We, we lost eight straight against them, so I was going to enjoy every moment. I kind of wish we hadn't called off the dogs. In the second half, just run that thing up because God knows the next time you're going to be able to do it against them. One request, ESPN College Game Day. If Gary Woodland is your celebrity guest picker, I'm rioting. Oh, my God. God. Who, who will it be? Oh, dude, it's got to be like Riggle. Rob Riggle, Riggle will be in town. Riggle will be a good Obviously, one. Bill Self. I think anybody that's there. like a KU guy, this is the, I mean, dude, you got to cherish this. Getting game day out there, you don't know when it's going to come back again. They got to. Riggle would be good. If it's Gary, just. Oh my God! We have to write a script for him. Yeah, I can't. I can't think on his feet. He's gonna say something stupid as shit. Gary's not built for live television. Uh, also, Cooper Rush, Dallas Cowboys. Is, if what I, are we doing? Come on! I've been joking about him for a while. Like, hey, a little QB controversy down there in Dallas. Uh, dude. By the way, he wins again next week, and then Dak comes back. Like, oh, my hands better. I don't. Good. Grab some bench, dog. <laughs> like, all, Hold that. What do you want a guy to do? If Dak had been doing this, the, the exact same stats, exact same results, and people like, look, Dak, he's finally. I told you. Told you. That contract's justified. Cooper's doing it, dude. Let that kid spin. Let Booby spin. I love it, man. Our defense is incredible. Big game Dalton this weekend. Dalton paved the way for him as the redheaded gunslinger. Okay, calm down. You know what I mean? Calm down. He's like the red BB gun. They travel to LA this week for a battle against the Rams. So if he can get another one, that'd be four in a row and his win his first five starts in the NFL. Pretty damn impressive. What do you want? What do you want from a guy that's getting paid less than a mil a year? Two-year, $1.95 million deal. I mean, I've heard of worse Pretty things, but, good. Yeah. Russell Wilson get paid two hundred forty five. He costs a little bit more. Would you rather have Cooper Rush win. right now? Sierra's husband, excuse me. What? Would you rather have Cooper Rush on the Broncos right I'd now? I'd rather have just something. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's all part of the plan. We weren't going to come out the gates hot. No preseason, no play like that. We're pacing ourselves, sliding under the radar. But some of the shit going on right now, I'm like, what are we doing? Melvin Gordon cough it up every single time he gets it. Old buttery hands, Melvin. What's your we coach's got name up there? Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, Nathaniel Hackett. The way he's going, he's going. To need, he might need to drink one of these bottle of Doers after every every game. A lot of people saying that Nathaniel can't 
hack it. Mm-hmm. You with me? Yep. Yeah. But if you're going to enjoy that doers, make sure it's a lemon wedge, Oof. please. Yes. If, if you're in the trap, you're going to want a sand wedge. If you're shooting uphill from the cabbage, you're going to want a pitching wedge. If you're looking for the perfect cocktail for the 19th hole or for watching golf on TV, you're going to want a doers lemon wedge. It's a light, refreshing, totally seasonable cocktail made with doers 12-year-old lemonade and club soda, then garnished with a lemon wedge. If you really want to make it authentic, stick a golf tee through the lemon before dropping it in the glass. A clean tee, please. Find the recipe at doers.com. Make a batch for your buddies or just enjoy one yourself. Either way, you'll be sipping on the cocktail made for golf. The Doers Lemon Wedge from Doers, the most awarded blended scotch whiskey in history. Enjoy responsibly like we always do. Always enjoy responsibly and gamble responsibly. That's what we do. We're responsible people. Well, My throat is not good, by the way. You sound great. I sound like I'm dying. All right. Well, it's time for the Doers Cheers moment of the week. And speaking of gambling, this isn't even gambling anymore with this guy. This is just free money every time I tee it up with our good friend, Pout Pout Brian Bubbles Waters. Shout out to the Pout Pout, the 17th best senior amateur in the United States of America, according to him. Made it to the round of 32 at the Senior Am. My Cow Club partner, your nemesis. Not my your nemesis. Your night. My little him. bitch. I, I own <laughs> oh him. Oh, my God. Muddy. I own he him. Knows he knows it now. Oh, my God. So we went out and played Whisper Rock the other day. Myself. Pout Pout, mm-hmm. Dave Kelly, okay. and Chris Quiet. Okay. All members at the Whisper Rock. We decided to play. It's soft out there right now because it's still hot. We played the Rusties, which is the member tees, 6,800 okay. yards. Friendly. Hadn't played in a couple weeks. Decided to go out there, tee it up with the boys. Beautiful day. Mostly because I wanted to get ready for my match the next day with Max Homa and Riggs from Barstool and Joe Griner. A little tune-up. But I went out, and sleaze, it's like I never left. It was just on an absolute heater. Turning four under, nice and solid. Hitting a lot of good iron shots, making a few putts. Recently went to the claw, as you saw Ooh. there in Cal Club, mm. hooping it from everywhere. Go to the back nine, par the tenth, then rattle off seven straight threes. Twenty-one strokes. That's good math. Three tubs. End up shooting twenty-nine on the back for a little sixty-one. Nine yeah. birdies and an eagle. Get you some. Get you some. Every, All in front of old muddy dude. Every single iron shot, right when I'd hit it, the ball would take off, and he's like. God damn it! Because <laughs> everyone was going right at the He's pin. a positive influence. Oh, it that was great. He's always rooting for All day, he's like, you're my kryptonite. I hate you. I can't play golf with you ever again. Uh, but we just absolutely dusted him. Me and Chris Quiet took him down for a little, 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 little change. A little piece? Yeah. A little nibble? Yeah. Yeah. Mud? Yeah. He's um, he's fun one to have a day against. It's I'll so fun. He's, he's great when he if you're on his team and he's playing good because it's obnoxious it fits right in with all of us when it's going good but when it's going when you're on the other side of it and it's going good he doesn't handle adversity Mm-mm. too well probably why i only made it to the round of 32 yep. in the usga he was yelling at me complaining that his body wouldn't turn because he's oh yeah i got up at the this. crack of dawn by the way we just did that flying out the cow club by the way did the exact same thing no excuses play like a champion there. yeah dude just sack up have you a little doers let's go next day i do have to give a little shout out to max homa and riggs they did take down me and Joe Griner. Mm. We played a little high-low, so both balls count. We lost $75. It was nuts. It's like basically we're setting them up for a big, huge you gotta slap feed, in the face. You got to feed the pigeons yeah. a little bit. Keep them coming back. But we went all the way back, and Max Oma, no surprise, cruised to a little 66. Did he hit it terrible? Oh, my God. It's just it's it's so it's the swing is literally so far all over on the autopilot. Place. It looks like a video game. I don't know how he squares it up at the bottom in so many different positions. But we went all the way back that day. High-low. I got two aside from Max. I shot 68. Okay. Took care of my Solid. business. My partner, Joe, I love you. I'll take. I'll always go with you till we die. You're he my, is the reverse pout pout. He's Joe Grinder's fantastic. He's, he just didn't. He tried. He started with the stack system like that morning, 
And the speed? his driver's yeah, the speed system. His driver was all out of whack. He hits it as straight as I do, and yeah. he's in, in the desert. Yeah, he's a he's a down the middle type of a dude. When aren't you dialed up for this stack? We gotta. Yeah, get, I just got it. We gotta get you. What Blackburn well, say get you a one seventy ball speed. I said, oh if you do God. that, dude, you need a better hire seven assistants to answer the phone. Holy, I mean, come on. But it, we we have to actually have a meeting about it because he's worried if I just go straight into stack, I'm gonna hurt myself. Okay, good. So I gotta yep. actually do some gym work a little bit before to Ooh. get the body how do you moving. Feel, how do you feel? About I didn't that? know that was part of the deal. How do you feel? I just want to hit it hard, dog. I don't want to <laughs> yeah. do any of the work. I just want to wake up and hit it long. Just tell me, yeah. Just let me show up. Pay but you. But I did and just I get it bonds. last week. Thank you, Stack, for sending that to me. I am gonna get to work on it now that I have some time. And the game's getting nice. Get stacked. Get stacked. Imagine if you just start hitting seeds. Come I on. need to get on this stack. Just hit crazy yaks. All right, well, a man who gets to see a lot of crazy yaks out there. Our mm -hmm. guest this week, Jim Bones Mackay, caddy for, obviously, longtime caddy for Phil Mickelson, now caddy for Justin Thomas. Pretty good bag to have. Not terrible. He's he's done well in, in picking out his talent. Yeah, but this guy, I feel like we could have three episodes with Bones. He's got so many stories, and he's a fantastic storyteller. And it, and we should, by the way, because we've been trying to do this one for a long time. Scheduling, all that sort of stuff comes in. He's got so many stories. This is a real Fun one. I think you're going to get some stuff about Bones. Everybody knows Bones, but how he got on the bag for Phil, all, how all that came to be. Justin Thomas, you get into a lot of that. There's just an endless stories around the way about some of the old school Freddy couples, those dudes. Like this dude's been in it from the jump. And I'm when he was on TV, he did an outstanding job. But like even when he when he when I found out he took the job with JT, I was talking to him. I was like, dude, like Caddy's like your DNA. Like mm -hmm. you belong like out there, like in the game. And and he got a bag that ain't going away for a while. All right, let's get to it. Here's Jim Bones Mackay on Golf Subpar. Okay, ladies and gents, this one is long overdue, but it's finally here. We got one of the legendary bagmen of all bagmen with us. Current caddy for Justin Thomas, also part-time broadcaster still. The man himself, Jim Bones Mackay. What's up, brother? What's happening? Thanks for having me. Finally, it's here. Dude. Yeah, you finally let me in the door. Here we are. Oh, you're okay. a busy, you're a busy bagging. man. Here we are. But first off, thank you so much for joining us. It's going to sure. be a lot of fun. You know, we've obviously both known you for quite a long time, but for the people out there, we got to get to know you a little better. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess, probably as a young boy, your goal wasn't to be a professional caddy. <laughs> Tell right. us a little about like Jim Bones Mackay as yeah. a young fella. Yeah, he a, a kid with no money, but there were some golf clubs laying around at the house. Lived in this town, New Smyrna Beach, Florida, that by the grace of God had a city-owned municipal golf course, nine holes of which were designed by Donald Ross, and I could go out there for free after three o'clock. And the fact I could do that changed my life, and so I did that three hundred and sixty-three or four days a year. Okay, that's it. Every Couple days. You know, picked a range on occasion, did this or that, but that's where I was, and and that place, you know changed the trajectory of what I have going on. So you were hooked early. I, I was. I just loved it. And there was a there was a couple of guys, Slugger White, as a matter yeah. of fact, when I was a little kid, Slugger White spent a lot of time around that area and he would come and play on occasion and uh, you'd be like, that guy's on the PGA tour. And you know, that kind of like obsession with golf at that level starts for a kid who's, you know, nine or ten years old. And uh, I just remember thinking it was the coolest game ever. Did he wear the hat back then? Did you, did you take... <laughs> no cowboy hat. No, no cowboy hat. You take any sketchy drops around? <laughs> hey, this is no closer, right? Yeah, exactly. But you worked your way all the way and you played in college. I mean, you got to tell us a little bit about Bones, the collegiate golfer. Analyze your game as a broadcaster. Oh, my gosh. Just break it down unbelievably mediocre at a Division II level. <laughs> Solid. Okay? We had the same Thank game. You. Appreciate dog. it. 
um, had, would hook one in the woods and for a hundred dollars, couldn't tell you why the ball went left, which is, you know, what kills you that, you know, at that age, it, it bugs me now that at 57, I, when I hit a bad shot, I, I have a good idea why back in those days, you know, it could have been any one of a hundred things. I didn't know how this, how the game worked or how the swing worked, but I was a, an above average chipper and putter. And that got me through four years at Columbus College. And we had pretty competitive teams and got to do a couple of cool things. Like one year we went to uh, University of Florida's tournament, got paired one of the rounds with Ohio State. And I played 18 holes with Jack Nicholas watching, you know, uh, his son Gary play yeah. in our group. So silly things like that happened. Um, which, which was cool when looking back on it, but um, just just grateful that I had a place to play. And, and, and Columbus, Georgia, as it turned out, was my entree into caddying. I want to go back. say, son, you got what it takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like what I see yeah, out there. I'm yeah. a little bit worried about my major record. <laughs> maybe, maybe find something else. I want to go back to what you said because you said you were a mediocre D2, and he said we have the same game. I just want to know that you said TCU's Division Two. Thank you. No, I was talking about my game being no, mediocre. No. Don't ever try to spin <laughs> hey, the word, dude. If there's any spinning going on here, I'll be doing the spinning, <laughs> by God. All right, well, what got you into caddy? Do you remember your first ever day as a caddy? And what was your, I don't even know, what, what was your first PJ Tour event? It goes actually back to high school. Mm-hmm. So you know Johnny Thompson. Oh, yeah. Johnny Thompson is a longtime PGA Tour rep. And his father played on the tour. His dad name was, dad's name was Barney who was a very talented you know, player at the time from West Virginia. He was a rabbit back in those days, you know, Monday qualifier before the all-exempt tour, but he lived down the street. And for golf balls, I would go down on occasion and babysit Johnny. So I had this relationship with, with his mom wow. and dad. And, and on a, a, a couple of occasions, I would say to Bar, I'd love to come and caddy for you. And uh, the first time I ever caddy was at the Walt Disney World Team Classic, so this would have been around 1980, 81. You can't imagine what they made you wear to do it. They basically made the caddies dress like Walt Disney World Park employees. Oh so it's 95 <laughs> degrees. It's 100% humidity. We're out there in brown sweater vests and a, like a goofy hat, you know, caddying. But, but that was it. And <laughs> Barney and his partner, Randy Erskine, who was a club pro from Ypsilanti, Michigan, uh, played really well. And like we were in it going into the weekend. I'm like full on addicted. Yeah. So I did that a couple of times, caddy to Bay Hill in high school, and of course went to college. But I got to thinking as I was realizing how bad I was at golf, that this whole caddy thing could be like the coolest job ever. I think I got to talk to Titleist, see if we can get you a goofy hat with Titleist across <laughs> of it for one of the tournaments. That's going to make you feel good as a caddy. It, like, here's yeah. your uni. You're going to be goofy today. You can't imagine. I mean, it was plus fours. It was all knit, oh my sweater God. vest. And we had to change in this tent. And the smell of that tent will, will will travel with me for the rest of my life. It was like something you've never seen. So you got in it. That's when you knew like, hey, maybe this cat anything's for me. But you go on after college. I think you're working at a golf shop at the time. And yeah. Larry Mize is, a, is yeah. a member there or something. And yeah. you end up hooking up with him. Yeah, I became friends with Larry. I'm, I'm making three bucks an hour working at Green Island Country Club in Columbus, Georgia, the town I was going to college in. Larry is there practicing, doing his thing. Um, he would come up late in the evenings and hit golf balls from you know the back of this one tee across a fairway into some open land, and I would go pick up the golf balls for him, and we became close friends. and And then the guy wins the Masters, and you know he's he's doing his thing, and you know now you're so excited for he and his wife, and you're keeping up with what's going on, and you're very kind of in tune with what's going on on the tour. And this just went on for a period of years, and I finished school, and I'm going to take a job at a local bank, and you know adult life is about to take place. And I'm sitting ad- around with Larry one day at his dinner table. And he said, my caddy and I split up today. This is at the very end of the year, October, November kind of time. 
and I'm like, really? Of course, you know, the wheels are churning mm. in my head. And, and, and I said to him, you know, if I could get a leave of absence from this bank I've never even started at, would you consider taking me on the road for a couple of years? And, and to his credit, I mean, he never should have done it. I mean, I'm not a caddy. I don't know the courses. I don't know where to stay. I don't know what to do. But he was nice enough to, to let me do that. And in uh, January of 1990, I packed up my little red beat-up car with no air conditioning and drove it across the country from Columbus, Georgia to Palm Springs. And I was like, wow, this is the greatest adventure of all time. That's commitment to go from Georgia in your car, no AC, by the way, to Palm Springs, first gig ever. I mean, imagine somebody doing that now. And then did you caddy for him that following April at the Masters? I did. I caddied in 19. I cad My first year caddying, 1990, uh, I caddied for him. Uh, at the Masters, it was the last year that Cypress Point was on the rotation at Pebble. So I caddied at Cypress Point. I caddied at the British Open in St. Andrews. And That's your first year. Wow. That was my that was my first year. And he finished about 15th on the money list. So I was out of my mind. So you're, I mean, you're out of college in Georgia, and you're going Cypress Point. And then had you been to Augusta before? Uh, just as a just as a uh, spectator. Yeah. So okay. So you'd seen the place. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. That gotta be imagine. maybe the. Are you the last Excuse caddy me, patron? Ever? Sorry. Yeah. Patron. patron. There you right, go. Right. Yeah. No oh mud ball. Don't even think of mentioning a mud ball. You gotta be the first caddy ever to never have caddied really as a job before and get a major champion as your first back. Yeah. I mean, that it was, doesn't. I mean, yeah. Ridiculous. Nowadays, it crazy. would never be like, no, dude, you gotta yeah. work the corn ferry, do something yeah, for a it, while. It, Larry was was really really good and he he got in the middle of some big things we were playing with gamez when he holded it on the last hole at bay okay. hill um it was just an incredible uh you know first year uh he didn't win but came incredibly close he was actually leading i think he and norman were typhly when gamez hold it on the 18 at bay hill with that oh, seven yeah. iron um but just got in the mix a few times and i was just eyes wide open and just drinking it all in so how long were you with larry mize uh, two years, and then you went. To I, I, so at, you know, he he was interested in me. You know, you know, taking up this commitment I had with the bank. I was not interested at all. And you know, again, he wanted what was best for me, and and then I really appreciate that. He's one of the finest gentlemen I've ever met in my life. But I wanted to stay out there. His close friend Scott Simpson, mm -hmm. he then became between caddies. He said, "Well, will will you caddy for me in '92?" And I said, "Great." And um, the very first tournament I ever caddied for him was the was Palm Springs in 1992. I went to pick him up in a car now that had air conditioning that I nice. driven out there. Thank Congrats, you. Yeah. Upgraded there, and we're driving to the golf course down 111 there in Palm Springs. It's my first day on the job, and the guy says to me, "Hey, by the way, if you get ever get offered a job by a player better than me, definitively better than me, I would expect you to take it on the spot." And I'm driving down the street thinking you know, well, that's so nice of you, but I'm all in. Let's go. Let's go make some birdies kind of thing. But of course, that sticks in the back of your head. And, you know, three or four months later, I ran into the whole Phil situation. Mm -hmm. So you're one of those guys that feels like still to this day, like you wake up so excited to go to the golf course and caddy. I love it. Yeah, that's so It's awesome. in your DNA. I yeah. think you and I had a conversation, even when you got into the broadcasting, which you were terrific at, by the way, but I was like, and then you took the job with JT. I was like, dude, that's like where you belong. I just feel like you're a dude that belongs like in the mix out there. And broadcasting is close, but it's probably not the same feeling as being in the arena. Yeah, the, the, the TV job was and is amazing. And, and I'll do it again at some point down the road. But uh, there's something about Caddy. And for me, at, at least, it, it, it's it's really big time in my blood. Would you say like coming down the stretch or even at the start of tournaments, like are the nerves or is the excitement still the same? Like do you get, do you get nervous before like say the Masters? I've never, I've been nervous one time as a caddy 
Um, and that was early in my career with Phil. Early in the tournament in Vegas, he had a chance to shoot 59. And for some reason, back then, you know, people shoot 59 a decent amount these days. But back then, back in the you know early mid-90s, it rarely happened. And there may have been some kind of like cash bonus at the end of the rainbow that somebody was giving out if you shot in the 50s. And I remember being nervous that day. But but it occurred to me early on that, you know, when you're out there with these guys on Sunday and they're trying to win, you know, they've got so much on their shoulders. They're taking so much home with them at night, as you guys know, on on Friday, Saturday night that, you know, I'm having a couple of beers with my buddies. It's all good for me. So I, I never felt nervous. Now I can get, you know, anxious, like, let's get out there, let's get going, whatnot. But I've never felt nervous on a golf course. That's crazy. So take us back. You yeah. mentioned, obviously, four months in, you start with Phil. How much did you know about him before you got offered the job? And what were your first thoughts when you got to see him play up close and personal? I certainly was a guy that read everything about the game, you know, got Golf World magazine every week and, you know, memorized what was going on. So certainly was aware of what he was doing. And at this point, he'd won a couple of, NCAAs and was a really big deal. But I came to the Phoenix Open one year and was driving to my favorite record store was down in Tempe. And I went down Scottsdale Road that turned into Rural Road. And in doing so, before I took a right to go to the record store, that's where the range was, the private range for the ASU golf teams. And, and this one evening, there was a left-hander hitting balls on the range. So I went into the store, bought my CDs, drove back. The guy was still hitting balls. It was Phil. And I got within, you know, 20 or 30 feet of him and said, you mind if I watch you hit, hit a few? And he said, no, please help yourself. I sat down on a bench, watched him hit balls for, for 10 minutes and just got in my car and left. That was the first interaction I ever had with him. But you could just tell, you know, you could just look at the way his hands went on the club, you know, in terms of like Ballesteros did. It looks like he was born with a club in his hand and the speed and, you know, the wedges and whatnot that the guy was a world beater when at this point he was 2021. 20, so how did the like job offer come into play? You're yeah. out there, you're looping, and all of a sudden, yeah. bam, here's the young up-and-comer, all-world yeah. kid. How did he know, like, I want bones? Um, well, so at, back at that time, there were a couple of players like Chris Kirk is now. Chris Kirk has a rotation yeah. of caddies. Back in those days, Curtis Strange did that. So S Scott Simpson is not playing at the Tucson Open in 1992, but I, I love me some Curtis Strange. And I had a chance, I had worked for him a few times before, had a chance to work for him that week. I'm there. It's like a Saturday. Curtis is playing well. He's, he's in the fringes of contention. And, you know, as a caddy, you're standing around waiting for your player to come out. And here comes this guy that looks familiar to me. And it turns out to be Phil's college golf coach, who I'd met once before, um, who had, you know, he'd been at a couple of different schools, but he came up to me and said, hey, you know, remember me? And I'm like, sure do. And he says, you know, we're looking for a guy for Phil. He's going to turn pro in June. You know, could you give us some names? It was never about me. So we were having this conversation. Here comes Curtis. I have to leave abruptly. And that's it. So, you know, I, I said, got to go by, grab the, the clubs and follow Curtis to the range. So I just got home after that tournament and just wrote a note. Didn't know the guy's address to put, you know, Arizona State Athletic Department, you know, Coach Loy and said, hey, sorry to run off on you like that. Here's my number. If I can help you out in some point, you know, point you in some kind of direction, let me know. Um, it turns out, I guess, Phil either saw that note or, Co or, or Aloy told him about the note. And when I met Phil for the, for the first time really in person, which was at the Players, a couple of months later, Phil got in as an amateur. Um, Phil offered me the job. But I will say that it's important to remember that 
it's kind of thought as 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 caddies out there. We all talk all the time. We all go to dinners that you never want to be a great player's first caddy because you're never going to last. You know, they're always going to make a change. So I knew, you know, I knew right away I was gonna, I wanted to take the, the job with Phil. But the reality of that job and that situation is that he's going to now come out on the tour. He's going to play. There's 150 other caddies out there. He's going to run into some guy he thinks is the greatest guy ever who's very, very capable. And that's who he's going to want to have caddy for him. So I didn't have any illusions when I went to work for him. I thought this might last a year or so. I thought maybe I, my goal was to caddy in one Ryder Cup. And uh, maybe I could get to one Ryder Cup with him, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. But to his credit, you know, with the kind of guy he was to work for, um, I, I ended up doing eleven in a row with him. That's incredible. Yeah, I had no idea about that. Story, I didn't know by about the, the note way, either. Did yeah. you, so was it the note? Did he ever say something to you? Like, hey, I saw the note. And I was like, a guy that would do this would be the kind of guy. I, I don't think have? so. He, I do. I, he might have said that. You know, I heard you wrote a note or yeah. something like that. But it it was just that was the way it worked, and. Uh, it was very, very quick. You know, that, that, that day, I'm actually counting for Scott Simpson in a practice round at the players. We're playing with the first alternate, who I'm almost positive was Gary McCord. And <laughs> it's not, it's normally an alternate. <laughs> so it's Simpson, McCord, and Phil on the 10th tee at the players. And we're waiting for the fairway to clear, and this conversation happens between Phil and I. And I said, can I think about it while we're out here for a couple hours, you know, because it, it, it completely caught me off guard. And of course, of course, every you know, every atom in your body is screaming. You gotta do. I'm this. doing it. I yeah. just can't do it right now. You know, and uh, right, right. So uh, you know, it was an e- easy question to answer. Yeah, and y'all obviously went on this incredible run, and you're back in the in the '90s, and I feel like the characters back then were much different than they are nowadays. Unbelievable. That was like the so. golden era, yeah. maybe. I think. The I feel 90s. like I missed my era. Like I needed to be uh, back. That's in a great the 90s. point. That's a first great off. Point. You had it straight and short back then. Too. It worked out great. But <laughs> right. I want to know who were like some of the guys back then you looked forward to getting paired with because I mean they're big characters. You know they're going to the bar afterwards, not to the gym. Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? There were so <laughs> as many. much as you want. <laughs> yeah. No, it was just there were just so many great guys. I mean, you know. First of all, this, you know, everyone's going to be disappointed by this answer, but you can't undersell Fred Couples. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Certainly, you know, that was, that was when Fred was coming on the scene. I mean, he played some good golf in the late 80s, but I became really good friends with Joe LaCava. He became my best friend and a guy I traveled with on the road. So I spent an inordinate amount of time with Fred. And those stories are, you know, I've always said that if there's ever a book called The Adventures of Fred and Joe, it'll be the best selling golf book of all time because, (laughs) It would, every night was just incredible, you know, you know, finding the best Italian spot in town, going to a, you know, a ball game or a hockey game. It, it was just like, I was living my dream. You know what I mean? I was so, so lucky to be in the middle of this, but I don't know, you know, guys like Joey Sindelar and guys like Mike Donald, I mean, the real, the real characters. Uh, and it, it was just, it, it was just, it was an amazing time. Um, you know, Jeff Sluman was a blast to be around. You, you, Jeff Sluman could get you in trouble because he was so funny. You know, you'd lose it at a time when a caddy shouldn't be losing. I remember he used to have this deal with Polo and all of his shirts, you know, would have a little pocket right here. And for whatever reason, a scorecard would fit in it perfectly vertically. And he'd be out there like taking practice rings like he's about to go tee off in the Masters with his scorecard coming out of his pocket. I mean, it's one of those you had to be there moments. But just as you as you said, these guys are characters Mm -hmm. and they were hilarious to be with. That's the goal. That is the golden era of like characters. That is pre-social media, pre everything, you know, like 
guys were actually going out and doing stuff. But, but Freddie actually is the one that gave you your nickname, right? Everyone yeah. knows you as Bones. I mean, yeah. you have people yeah. out there. Like, you say Bones, they know what you're talking about. Yeah, he did. gave it to you. Can you give us the story how that yeah. came about? Uh, three months into caddying with Larry Mize, tournament in Paris. Nobody knows your name. Nobody's really cares to know your name because they're sure at this point this new skinny kid from Georgia is not going to last. And so Larry said, let's go to Paris for this event. I was like, wow, Paris, great. You know, again, you're over there seeing things you never thought you'd see. All the players, their wives, and the caddies would go to dinner together at night. And uh, four or five nights in, we go to some place after a round, and it's buffet style. Fred's, you know, hungry and tired and wants to go to bed. He's the first guy through the line, you know, gets this steaming plate of food, goes over and sits down at a table, sits down, no silverware. Looks up, the silverware's, you know, 26 feet away. There's no chance he's walking that 26 <laughs> feet. Sees a tall, skinny guy very close to said s silverware and just starts screaming out these random names, none of which are mine. I'm so skinny. He yells out, Bones. I turn around, bring him a knife and fork, and, and he calls me Bones the rest of the trip. But, you know, I have to say, and I say it all the time, back in those days, and we're talking, you know, you know the, the golden age, if you will, a ton of caddies had nicknames you would not want to tell grandma. Well, we got to save that. We're yeah, gonna get, that's one of my questions later yeah. on because I love caddy nicknames. <laughs> okay. When okay. he calls you that, did you know at that point, like, that's what I'm going to be called for the rest of my life. This will be forever what I'm known as you in know, the golf world. John Cook was on that trip. John Cook was calling me Bones on the range the next day, something like that. Yeah, I was like, takes. okay. Yeah, and I was, I was thrilled given some of the other nicknames floating around. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I'll take Bones. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. You can I, just never get big. Yeah. Or it has to be like ironic. I love the nicknames. This is going to be great. But obviously, Phil in 92. Then late 96, early 97, a fellow named Tiger Woods comes along. Yes, he does. You heard okay. Let's get into your first time seeing Tiger up close and personal. Man, I, I, I'll say this. In the fall of 1996, I had some friends who were in this band, R.E.M., and they were in Vegas to do something, and I was going to go to dinner with them with a, with a PGA Tour golfer by the name of Davis Love III. And Davis Love III was late to dinner because he was losing in a playoff to Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger's very first PGA Tour victory. Yeah. And I'll never forget, you know, Davis coming in and sitting down and, I, you, know, you know, dang it, you know, I you know, had my chances and this and that. And then the, the kid did this and the kid did that. And, I, you know, none of us knew how great Tiger was going to be. We were, you know, we, we knew we won these amateurs and the junior amateurs and all this stuff. And the swing looked like just syrupy perfection. But I just remember, you know, Davis, you know, really not wanting to be the first guy that, you know, didn't beat him down the stretch. Um, and then, of course, you know, it starts to sink in, you know, kind of what's going on. And uh, it, it was remarkable. I, I think the first time we didn't get paired for Tiger for, with, for a while because he would, they would always put he and Phil on the other side of the draw, which, which went yeah. on for years. Okay, were you a fan of that or no? I wasn't because I wanted to watch the guy play like everybody else wanted to watch him play. And they're trying to play. build a rivalry. They're trying to right, build this as right. Phil Tiger. Yeah. It's like, well, dude, maybe put them together one time. You yeah. can control the well, first Well, at least round. on the they're same like, side of the wave. That yeah. way, there's not I mean, so many for people TV, in They want people yeah. watching both sides. Yeah. But it's like, dude, yeah. if you're trying to build this as like, yeah. this is the, these are the two dudes, how about you put them head to head a couple right. times? I mean, I don't know the stat and I don't want to make a fool out of myself, but if you told me it was double digit years that we went without playing with him on a Thursday and Friday, I wouldn't be surprised. It was just forever. Um, but I saw him play at, at Wingfoot at the uh, PGA that Davis won. And the thing that just blew me away was the available speed. You know, the, the swing was gorgeous. And of course, he's working with Butch. And I, I, I just remember a couple of times where, you know, he obviously to get a club from A to B and to get the ball stopped, he had to do something 
fairly outrageous in terms of the speed he would generate and he'd do it and the ball would come down with a thran and go like you know a foot from the ball mark and you're like oh boy and then you start getting paired with him late on sunday at the masters and and things like that and it's like oh boy you know but but i i wouldn't change it for anything i mean we can sit here and talk about tiger and tell tiger stories i mean you know, it's like the Duval quote that's been going around for a few years now on the tour where, you know, some of the, even maybe some young guy said to him, geez, you know, I, w- I wish I could have played against Tiger in his prime. And Duval was like, no, you don't. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really tough. And what it would do, you know, Phil took heat a couple of times, you know, for decisions he made down the stretch or, you know, or things that happened down the stretch in PGA Tour events. When we're trying to beat Tiger, a guy that doesn't make bogeys. You know, it's a whole it's a whole different bowl of cherries when you're pulling a club and, you, and you're you're playing against somebody else, maybe that you know trying to win a tournament. But but there were certainly a couple of times when we were playing, and like, well, we got to do A, B, and C here because what's the likelihood that this guy's going to make a score over par? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he was just that good. It seemed for a while there there wasn't anything on the tour, ball striking, putting, pitching the ball, where he wasn't the very best on the tour at it. At that's, all of it's it, it's kind of tough to beat. It's but, kind of tough to and make. what was I mean? You you were out there in the arena when obviously I mean it's not arguably it's two the two best players of that era going at it head to head. I mean I think back to Pebble Beach when Phil shot sixty four mm-hmm. to get the win. But what was the atmosphere like out when, when those two got paired together? It was crazy, especially if it was at San Diego. Actually, I'm not sure they ever got paired together at San Diego, but they went at it in San Diego. Mm-hmm. You know, in the last couple of groups, and I remember there was some kid with who had this like extended driver shaft with Tiger's famous head cover, Tiger head cover. And like, we would walk between greens and tees and the guy would hold the head cover over our head as we were walking the next day. It's like, you know, the crowd was involved. Phil was from San Diego, Tiger was from up the road and Tiger was Tiger. He had this incredible following, but but it was it was super, super cool. And I will say there were a couple of times when you know, you're out there just butting heads with this guy and, and, and Tiger would come over to you at a quiet moment and go, no matter what happens the next half an hour, this has been fun. And really? I always mm. really respected That's him awesome. about that because no one needs to yeah. tell me how much he wants to win and how much Phil wants to win. But I think Tiger really enjoyed the process. You know what I mean? He really enjoyed going head to head with somebody. And of course he won, you know, 99% of the time it seemed like, but it was it was fun to be out there. He probably just enjoyed being challenged because like, is, there's not that many guys realistically. If he's playing well, mm-hmm. close to an A game, like there's not that many guys that can really hang around. And Phil was probably one of the one guys who could. Phil actually said something to me one time that I've never thought about until he said it. But he's like, you look at all the great players in the history of golf, they're one of two things. They're either great technicians or they're great artists, right? Nick Faldo, great technician, swing, all that stuff. He's like, Seve, artist, clearly, that type of guy. He said, Tiger Woods is the first guy ever to be the world's greatest technician in golf swing and the greatest artist at the same time. Yeah, it's I, yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I also think, too, this is this is this is a caddy perspective here that professional golfers at that level fall into one of two categories, blamers and non-blamers. And for me personally, you know, you sit out there, you know, one of the things you do as a caddy is you observe, you, you look around the range, you see what's going on. And it's it's not easy to kind of figure out what's happening in certain situations. And both Tiger and Phil, you know, I never caddied for Tiger, but I'm quite aware of how he operates, I feel it's fair to say. And, you know, Phil was a guy that if we were, you know, in the 18th hole at Riviera and he likes seven iron and I like six iron, I talk him into the six and he hits it in the hot dog stand over the green and, and we lose the tournament. 
he was a guy that would say to me as bad as I would have felt, that's okay, I'm the guy that takes the club out of the bag. And that really opens up your caddy to, you know, A, not walk around on eggshells, really be themselves, have an opinion. And both Tiger and Phil were like that. And when I look around, you know, at these guys, you know, some of these guys to me that are constantly looking for someone to point the finger at, you know, my omelet was no good this morning. My manager's doing a bad job. The shaft in my driver really isn't working the way it should. To me, those guys that are looking for things to blame you know, their poor play on, they're almost always going to be underachievers. That's it. Yeah. There's a lot of guys. I mean, just, I think golfers in general, just like blank. It was something, a bad lie, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like rarely, like you, a lot of them don't take ownership. You got to own reason. it. Like, dude, you're the only dude at the you end of the day. You got to own it. Wrong side of the draw. Yeah. I, you always got the bad I mean, wave. That's just factual. You always got I always wave. had it. <laughs> always had the bad wave. We want to talk about one specific event in particular, the 2004 Ryder Cup, which I think is one that still gets talked about with Hal sure. Sutton, obviously. They paired Tiger and Phil together. They did. Which was kind of unexpected. Okay. Was it something that y'all knew going in, like, hey, this is probably going to happen? And what was your first thought when you're like, okay, this is like, we're going to go do this? Uh, it was not planned, or at least as far as I mm -hmm. knew. Um, w I didn't really have an idea that it was going to happen until the day before. They didn't want anybody to know it. And so um, Oakland Hills is a big property. There might be two golf courses there. Of course, we were just on one of them. But Phil came to me and said, listen, we're playing with Tiger the first day and we're playing with him in alternate shot. And of course, I needed to defer to Tiger. So we use his golf ball. It's going to be radically different than ours. You and I are going to go to the other side of the property here with 40 of his balls and try and figure out what we need to do with it. So that was the first I heard of it. And, uh, you know, we went and did what Phil wanted to. And, and, and certainly the golf balls were radically different. But there we were the next day on the first tee ready to roll. Wow. What surprised you more, the fact that you were paired together the first time or the fact that you oh. got paired together the second time? <laughs> yeah. The first, I can kind of see, like, let's throw our beasts out there. We'll smack them yeah. in the mouth, make a statement. All right, it failed. Yeah. Maybe, run, maybe you know, bring with, it back. With all due respect to everybody involved, and it's, it's easy to second guess right. and play Monday morning quarterback. Um, yeah, I thought that after they, they didn't win that first match against Harrington and Montgomery, who played very well, I thought, let's, let's just let this go. Yeah, that's. I think that's the big shocker. I think that was just like, let, let me take one more chance just to show that I wasn't totally ridiculous. <laughs> Guys, yeah, for doing do it. This. Eventually, they're gonna yeah. win. They're pretty damn good at yeah. this game. Do you have a? You've been a part of virtually every team competition for years and years and years. I mean, going back, right? Do you have one that sticks out? Like that's my favorite memory. That moment right there on the team side, not individual. Uh, there, there would be a couple of memories. If I have. 20 seconds for a story here. Um, you have time seven you want. hours for a story if you want. So in 1993, <laughs> Phil wins the International. Great tournament. Great tournament. I uh, can't wait. To, I think we're going back there for the BMW here in the next yes, couple of years. 2024. Yeah, George Denver. Solich at the helm there at Castle George Pine. George got it done. Shout out George. George, George Solich will get it done. Let me tell you mm -hmm. something. So Phil wins the tournament. I got a couple extra bucks. And a couple weeks later is the Ryder Cup. Phil's not on the team. And I'm obsessed with the Ryder Cup. I just think it's the coolest thing ever, but I've never been to one. It is. Yeah. So Joe Lakov is like, well, Fred's on the team. Come over and crash on the floor and wherever I'm staying. I'm like, I am there. So I buy myself a ticket. I fly over to Birmingham, England, and I am hanging out in the crowd at the Ryder Cup. But this is pre-assistant captains and caddy captains and all the stuff that you see today. It was Tom Watson as the captain. His longtime teacher, his name was Stan Thursk, is his assistant, and that's it. 
you got to think two guys from an administrative standpoint. So I get over there and certain things, you know, I needed my jacket, I need a dozen balls. All of a sudden they give me a credential and I'm team gopher and I'm the happiest guy Fantastic, ever. yeah. Fantastic gig. So, you know, come Friday morning for the start of the tournament, you know, I'm in the team room now and I'm sitting around in the corner and there's this fog. So guys have warmed up and there's this fog delay and guys are nervous. I mean, you know, if, if guys are really, really going to get nervous for me, it's going to be at the Ryder Cup, especially if it's their first or the first overseas. And this fog delay comes in. And I want to say that the first group out that day was going to be Kite and Davis Love. So we're all in the team room, ready for the for the fog to clear, and they're gonna these guys are gonna have to go straight to the clay, to the tee. Guys are sitting around, guys are eating for the tenth time, guys are just really nervous. And Fred is at a corner of the room where all the bags are lined up, and he's just going through everybody's bag, just checking out what you got. So he's making his way bag to bag, bag to bag. He takes out Davis's nine iron, waggles it. The head falls <laughs> off the shaft and bounces down this marble circuit. You know, ding, ding, ding. He was just ding. waggling it. Waggling the head falls off the shaft. Better then than <laughs> better than an hour than later. Where. And everyone just it made this really loud noise. We were watching this thing bounce down the stairs. And as this thing comes to stop, a guy comes in, he goes, five minute call, love and kite. And Davis picks this thing up, hands it to me, and says, get it fixed. Now, this is 1993. A little more difficult. Yeah, 1993, and there are no trucks on the property. And somebody says to me, I don't know who, but this person really said, they, if you run towards that farm over there, there's a little guy in his pickup truck who's got six grips in the back and he's you know, hoping epoxy, to help out some, yeah. and some epoxy, he's your guy. And it was like literally, it might've been two miles, but off I sat and I'm running across fields and this and that and running through cows, literally. And I find this guy where they allowed him to park and he epoxies this thing. And by the time I get back there on four or five or something like that. But what was crazy was I did this and then I went about my job, you know, getting guys sandwiches, whatever. And then the Ryder Cup comes to an end that Sunday and, and, it comes down to Davis Love's match, and he's playing against Constantino Roca, and the yeah. 18th hole of the Belfry is the hardest driving hole in the world, maybe. It's a little, it's like, it's like 18 at TPC Sawgrass, but harder. Just kind of dog legs, and that water just stays on the left edge the whole way. And Davis Love hits his three-wood off the tee, I'll never forget. Carries everything. You know, you, you couldn't, you know, 295 yards, it puts so much heat on Roca, who then Flair went out to the right. So Davis is in this position where he's going to have to make par to win the Ryder Cup. And he hits his short out on the green, leaves his first putt short, and makes the six-footer to win the Ryder Cup. You know, arms go up in the air, and we all go nuts out on the green, and we're all out there hugging all this stuff. And I'm just staying to the side because I'm not that much a part of the team. And Davis comes over, hugs me, and says, that was your nine iron oh that I had God. gotten fixed during the week. And I, I'm in this kid, you know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, it just... You, know, you say so cool. you won the Ryder Cup. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I mean, ba- no, you know what I mean? But that blew, was how it makes you yeah, feel. It blew my mind. And like as as in love and obsessed with the Ryder Cup as I was then, in that, in that second, I became even more so. So that experience, and, and what's crazy, and no one needs to tell me how crazy blessed is, I've been inside the ropes at every single team event since. Yeah. So yeah, between catting and TV, I haven't missed since 93. And I just think they're like, when we go to the President's Cup here shortly, I can't wait to watch Max Homa at the, at the President's wow. Cup. You know, people that we know and love and you know what it is and maybe they haven't had that experience yet. 
all I cannot wait for Max Homa to get the Presidents Cup. It's and how much awesome. he's been wanting to be a part exactly. of one of those for exactly. a while. What did he do in the first round? Davis Love, just no nine iron. Uh, until it got out hole. there, yeah. You, you can, can run it out there as fast as I could, yeah. It's better well, than yeah, having, 13. It's yeah. better than having 15. Yeah, yeah. hit that little three-finger eight-iron pro. Yeah, yeah dude, I thought <laughs> you were a shot maker. You, you're a pro, oh. bud. But obviously, we, I mean, we could do four hours with you, but we, we, should. We, don't, we don't have that much time. But I want to talk about your new boss a little bit, yeah, Justin it. Thomas, because I've known this guy since he was rather young, absolute superstar. I know there was only a couple of guys that could possibly get you out of the TV gig, and Justin Thomas came calling. I mean, it's got to be incredible. I picked up a major championship this yeah. year. Um, what makes JT so special in your opinion? There's three or four things. First of all, I can't say enough about his work ethic. I love the fact that the range or wherever we are out there practicing, that's his office. And he'll, you know, he'll, he'll tell a story or he'll say hello to Jordan or this or that, but that he does not hit a golf ball unless he's 100% invested. I love that about a player. You know, you hear stories about how hard he works when he's home. Uh, that, you know, during the pandemic, he was a guy that woke up every day and, it, you know, it would have been easy to say, well, I'm going to go to the pool and have a drink with, with my girlfriend or whatever the case may be. But he wakes up and thinks, how can I get better at golf today? So that's something. Um, he's a hell of a human being. Um, you know, I, I tell this story, you know, I told it on y'all's radio show just, you know, about climbing hills in Kapalua and him supporting the bottom of the bag and stuff like that and taking weight off my shoulder something that, you know, says a lot to me. It's like, you know, somebody opening a car door for you. It's just, you know, he's just that guy. Um, I love spending time around him. Um, and he's really, really good. I think when I did TV, I would say on the air, I think he's the most talented player in the game. I think he's got more shots than any player in the game. No one needs to tell me how many great players there are on the PGA tour at this moment in time. It's an amazing time to be out there. Um, but I'll take me some JT any day when we're out I'm there. I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's Shot special to watch. Shot moves it around more than any like current guy that I can think of. I, so, I got to ask about your first hole ever caddying for him, the 2020 in Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that story? <laughs> no, I don't know the story. Oh, okay. I, I'm told yeah. to ask. We're about to know it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so his caddy was a little unwell in 2020, and I had caddied for him once before, and I get this call saying, can you come overnight and caddy for me in Memphis? So I do. So I get there for the Wednesday practice round. I take a red eye. I don't sleep. I'm a mess, you know, and I somehow get through that day, and the next day is the first round. So we're starting there on uh, the first hole of Memphis, pandemic, no spectators, and he gets up and hits a pretty decent block off the first tee. So I know this is not, you know, the place we want to be. It's certainly not in the middle of fairway. We're going to have to deal some, with some things. So my caddy brain tells me, get your ass off the tee, jog out there, and kind of set up what you need to get set up for your player before he gets there. So I do just that, and I get out there, and, and, and we've got these trees in front of us, and, you know, the Shotland guys are in there, and there's this little kind of window in the trees. And I'm like, okay, so I've, let's move this cable. Let's move that stake. Yes, can we move the Shotlink equipment to the side? And, and he gets there, and by the time I've done all, gone through this entire process, uh, I'm standing there ready to go, and he's now standing next to me. And he's looking at me. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, I, I said, I'm getting everything out of the way. He goes, I'm pitching it out sideways into the fairway. <laughs> good effort, and, though. And, yeah. Oh, and it, it hit me. I was like, 
Oh, that's right. I, I caddied for, you know, Phil for 25 yeah. years. And if there was a gap, there was no question where we were going. And, you know, JT wedged it out in the sideways. I was like, yeah, that whole wedge out thing. I've heard yeah. of that, you know? So it was funny. You and got we, that shot? You, you yeah. got the wedge? You got really? the pitch out? Sideways? Yeah. Then you hit it from the fairway? What about that little one foot by one foot? <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's got. awesome. So it was first like, hole. First hole. Moving like, all the shit out of oh, the yeah. way. No, dude, I'm just yeah. going sideways. Now I'm apologizing <laughs> to the shot link guys. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. You know? Oh, God. That's great. All right, give me this right here we're on jt topic let's say jt's running a little hot right you got a couple bogues in a row you can tell he's just not where he needs to be if he gets in a situation like that what's the way to handle i feel like every player is different is he a rah rah pep me up hey yeah. everything's okay let's go get him bud or is he just yeah. leave me alone it's, and let me operate it's still situation that would you know is it thursday you know it, it, if it's sunday you know what i mean and he's just gone from second to fourth that's one conversation and you know Thursday where, you know, he's okay. Now, you know, he's, he's turned five under into three under kind of where he is. I, I think it's still situational, but, but, you know, he's the, th the great thing about him is again, you're not walking on any kind of eggshell around the guy. You can, you know, try and tell him something funny. You can leave him alone. You know, to me, a big part of caddying is reading the room. So whatever the situation may be, hopefully I'll, I'll get that part of it. Right. Is that the biggest part? Like switching guys doing, you've caddied for a couple of different guys and, you know, in the interim there, is it knowing like how to get my guy comfortable, how to get the best out of my guy, knowing like this pisses him off, dude. If I give him a rah-rah right now, he's going to freaking right. freak out. Yeah, no, exactly. And and one of the things I said to Justin when I started was, it's it's my job to adjust to you, not your job to adjust yeah, to yeah. me. Man, if anything goes on out here, I don't care how big or small that makes you in the least bit uncomfortable, please say something right away. I, I, I will make the adjustment. And so again, that's part of my job. And Again, you, you get to know these guys really, really well, and he's an incredibly, you know, inviting guy. So, you know, one of the most enjoyable weeks I've had this entire year, we went to Canada for the Canadian Open where we got involved in that incredible shootout yeah. with Rory there on the last day. And, and and Justin and I and his dad stayed in the house on the perimeter of the golf course, and we had a ball going to dinners and getting Chipotle and stuff like that, man. It was it was so much fun. I mean, he's just that guy. So, you know, again, spending time with him away from the course, I get to know him that much better, and I couldn't you know, I couldn't ask for a better boss. Yeah. You gotta be like part sports psychologist, like majority, maybe sports psychologist. You, 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 you gotta hopefully know your place and, and know, you know, when the right time is. How cool has it been to see Tiger kind of become his big brother over these last several years? And I mean, they've, they've become extremely close and something we probably never, I mean, obviously when Tiger was competing at his best, this didn't happen, but now here's T Tiger with Justin Thomas. How much has Tiger meant to him? Couldn't possibly put it into words. I mean, that relationship is special. And I certainly, I, I, you know, you want to show it the respect that it deserves, but it's it's amazing. And um, Tiger is just, uh, Tiger's an amazing guy, you know, and, and, and he cares and he's so freaking smart and he remembers everything. And, you know, again, it's, you know, it speaks for these, you know, these team events and you, you know, you get guys like, you know, Justin and Fred and Tiger around. I mean, those three guys tend to play practice rounds at Augusta. Mm -hmm. You talk about fun as a caddy, just grab the bag and listen to those three guys, you know, you know, chirp at it for, for, you know, nine or 18 holes. It's just, is it, you know, it's amazing to be around him. And, and uh, I can't say enough for Tiger, uh, 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 you know, as the human he is, as the dad that he is. And of course, my great friend Joe Lacava works for him now. It's just, uh, it's just amazing. And, to, and for Justin to have that resource, if you will, because I think that if Justin is really, you know, 
bothered by something that's going on within his golf game or curious about this or that or this golf course we're about to go to for the first time, you know, if he's lucky enough to have that guy, you know, in his corner, I mean, that's maybe the single greatest resource you could have. And, and, and I love it for my boss that he has that. No doubt. And I, I got to tell you one quick story because we were at the Masters this year. It was Monday. I'll never forget. Uh, we were walking from the range past the pro shop out there to the first hole and it comes out right there, right when the hill starts to go up. Mm-hmm. And there is just ridiculously amounts of yeah. people. And I'm like, elbow oh my God, elbow. all of a sudden here comes Tiger, Fred, and JT. And yeah. I'm like, uh, Sleaze, let's go to the second nine. <laughs> let's go right. to the, because yeah. we ain't gonna be able to see shit this second, whole Friday. Yeah. I was like, dude, if this is how it is, like, I don't, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know we can do this. We can't even Monday walk. Yeah. Yeah. I, have a, Monday. Oh my God. I have a picture of that on my phone that somebody took from the dog leg, you know, yeah. 280 yards down the way. And you're right. I've never seen. I mean, Monday, fifteen, eighteen oh. deep. It that was wild. So and, cool. And, and you know, when we teed off on Friday at the um, Open Championship this year, um, we were going down one as Tiger was coming up eighteen. And you know, there you are playing in you know the oldest major championship I think in the world. And 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 you know, you're hearing these this applause and these cheers rain down for Tiger. Tiger was you know obviously going to be emotional coming down. And it was amazing to me because it was. Uh, JT Hovland and another, you know, world-class player. And those guys, as Tiger was putting down on 18, they're playing now playing the first hole at the old course there. They're walking that hole backwards. Mm-hmm. They're not looking at whether their ball's in a divot or what the wind's doing. They just want to watch Tiger putt out on 18. And it was another one of those kind of pinch me moments where I just said to myself, this is so freaking cool that I, that That's, you're, that you're, you yeah. know, Going back 20 years ago, if, like, because for a long time, I mean, Tiger was a black box. Media gives you no information. From what I told, like, other players, like, he wasn't going to reveal anything or give anything up. Now to see him 20-plus years later taking JT under, is that a shock to you? That, like, this guy would kind of be a mentor at this point in his career, but given that for so long, yeah. he didn't give much. Yeah, that's a really good question. It, I'm not shocked um, because I feel like that I've known Tiger well enough to, you know, know what's going on. I mean, certainly you know, out there trying to beat the guy on Sunday. He's that Tiger Woods that we all would expect. But um, he's just, he's a very caring, again, superhuman being. And 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 I think I'd seen enough of that, um, you know, on the range on Tuesday or even in, in those occasions where you were trying to beat him when he'd come over and say something to you. Uh, he's just a good dude. And so I'm not shocked that he's turned out to be the, the incredible guy to these youngsters that he has. It's cool that he's willing to do it. Cause like, you're the best resource in the world to not share or pass along some of the stuff, you know, these guys would be ashamed, but he's definitely like softened. It seems like all right, guys, the beneficiary. I think we should get to the E9, even though we could go. We, we're just going to have to do we're another episode to go again. with you. Tough because shit, Bones. got to come back, to, bud. I'm supposed That's to hear about one. some of my favorite Joe LaCava stories. I haven't gotten any of these, but we got to go to the E9 because these are fun. I think we should skip the first one, honestly, and just throw in an extra one because I got All right, here's I got like new, first question, E9. Do you ever have huge regrets about not going working as a bank teller and all the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and all the you experience? You should have done that. You yeah. could have had some angry customers on a yeah. freaking chargeback. Yeah. No, it's funny. There I'm were sorry, a couple guys Jones? that worked down at the bank that I'd see them on occasion when the tour would go, and they you're, you're making a mistake here. And, and, I, and they were looking out for me, and I was like, I I don't think I'm making a mistake yeah. here, you know. It's turned out all right. One <laughs> yeah. of the most famous people in the world now, but whatever. No big uh, deal. Oh yeah. Um, we mentioned it earlier. The caddy nicknames. Yes. Okay. I mean, yours is up there. You got Fluff, Last Call, Lance. Right. Uh, give Give us a couple of the great caddy nicknames out there. Well, you know, there was a guy that that you would talk to, who, for whatever reason, when he talked to you, his eyes were always half yeah. open, 
and uh, Stather's caddy, Jeff Doff, nicknamed him Dusty Trails because he always looked <laughs> like he just walked down one, you know, stuff like that. And then, of course, you know, th- there was a caddy that, it, you know, it seemed like no matter what he did, he, he, he couldn't possibly lose his job, even though he was late a lot and stuff like that. And his nickname was Asbestos because he was yeah. fireproof. I thought that was clever. Um, and then when we were out there again in the 90s when the, the, the feds were looking for the Unabomber yeah. and they had that you know famous Unabomber sketch with the hoodie yeah, the and the Ray-Bans and sure, sure enough, this guy shows up and he looks identical <laughs> to this police lineup sketch. We're like, of course, he was the Unabomber yeah. for a while. So, you know, it was, it was, it was just great <laughs> and, and a lot of good fun. But it, it was, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, a lot of them were, you know, R-rated and I don't yeah. want to go too far down that road, but it was, it was good. That's awesome. That, Caddy nickname. Following the, well, actually, I'll, I'll save that for a later question. All right, I did an average for you, Bones. Okay, I took your career trying to find this answer. I'm, I'm giving you six miles on average per round that you walk as a caddy. Okay, five days a week. I'm giving you nine for practice rounds. Could be a little bit more. Twenty-two events per year. How many more years do you need to caddy until you have walked the total circumference of the earth? Okay, so. Oh shit! You know it. I might know this. Oh, so. Oh, boy. I, <laughs> A guy came up to us once. I, you know, you're caddying. People come up to you and they have interesting things to say. Like, I can fix your boss's swing or, sure, yeah. you know, whatever. You, you, you run into interesting people on the road. And uh, I did have a guy come up to us who had, who had gotten into this because he was, he'd done the steps. And I know that we can get it up in that 17, 18, 19,000, you know, because the thing about caddies is we're walking backwards a That's lot. That's what this doesn't factor right. in. So this is super conservative. So somebody by the way. told me that, that somebody told me that at one point they thought I'd walked around the earth with a bag on my back more than once. Oh. And, and they thought bordering yeah. on twice. I don't know. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, you, you do a little walking. Get some steps in. Got my steps in. Yeah. Earth is 24,900 miles in circumference. If, according to my calculation, you've, you're almost at 20,000, but like I said, it's super light. Cause that, yeah, by right. the way, it doesn't count Ryder cups, president's cups, right. uh, you're walking, broadcasting, walking the course, walking the course right. in between yardages and back and forth yeah. and circling around the green. Like I think you've walked more than around the earth. Or, is that weird to think like? Or walking back to the hotel place. if Joe LaCava leaves you high and dry in the parking lot. Right. Or like going that. to get the fork for Freddie when he didn't right. know your name. Like, there's 20, another few steps. Feet. You've been around yeah. the globe, bud. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Joe. Hey, okay, perfect. We can get right into that right now. You have a 10-foot putt for your life. You don't get to hit it. You have to choose between your three good buddies that are all happen to be caddies as well. Okay. Joe LaCava, wow. Joe Scavron, Michael Greller. Wow. Who you who you choosing to make this? I, I, this might come as a surprise. Joe LaCava is a very strong thick dude. He's got great hands. He is an above average putter. He's got a putter that's about 40 years old. It'll never leave his bag, but Joe can play. And as those other guys can too. And a couple of years ago, Joe will never tell people this, but he and his son, Joseph won the Connecticut state, Connecticut state father son championship in whatever division they were in. So he loves to play. He, he played very well at Pine Valley recently when we were in the Delaware area. He came down okay. during that, uh, but I would pick Joe for sure. All right, Joe Lacoff, perfect. Knew, well, I Stop. do. just doesn't have the heart for that. I don't think you don't have the you don't have that I killer. Another day. You don't you have that killer. Play. I thought it was going to be grinding. Let me tell you, Scoff's Scoff two point He's coming. He's coming. Okay, yeah. I got to hear though, real quick, your thoughts on Michael Greller's golf game over in Scotland. Let me tell you something. <laughs> While we're at it, 
to anybody out there, if you've got a member guest coming up, send a private jet for Michael Greller because A, he will be the most amazing partner you'll ever have. He will drink and smoke cigars with you and he will bring it on the golf course. We, f we found out about Greller. You know, my, my joke about Greller is that he can't hit a seven iron over a car because he hits it so <laughs> low. But we realized, you know, when we went to, on this trip in the UK where he was playing as like a six or a seven and I was playing as a four, that he hits it so hard and so low, he's hitting it 420 off the tee over there. And he was virtually unbeatable. So we had so much fun <laughs> and we're destroying guys we're playing against at Muirfield and at St. Andrews and we had a blast. That's awesome. He's a Lynx guy, dude. He's a Lynx guy. OG. Yeah, he's he plays OG. A, a golf is if, meant yeah. to be played on the ground. If your yeah. course is soft, don't call him. He's an OG. Yeah, if you guys <laughs> yeah. if you got to get fairways, yeah. maybe don't call him. I will say he's he's the most enjoyable person to play golf with I've ever played golf with in my life and that includes, you know, some touring pros and this and that. Greller is Lakava is the same way, but Greller is next level fun to play golf that's with. awesome all right Love it. greller shout out greller all right here we go this is, we're gonna golf geek out here for a minute you've seen virtually every golf course on planet earth that's of note so if you could pick the three rotating major championship venues outside of augusta Ooh. obviously for the bones ultimate major championship lineup what would they be so for the guys that play on the tour yeah, you get oh. to set the majors for next year. They okay. can be anywhere you want outside of Augusta. No question that Shinnecock would be on that list. Mm. I think for, for top players, Shinnecock is, is it's unfortunate that they've run into some setup issues the last couple of times they've had U.S. Opens, but I think that course is amazing. I think that Riviera in Los Angeles is amazing. Um, so it would be those two for sure on different coasts. And then we can, you know, fly, we can throw others in there. Obviously, there's amazing courses everywhere. Um, you know, Pebble, obviously, uh, so many in that New York area. Um, but those two would be a lock. And then I would have to rotate the third in and out. For the Open Championship? Yes. Okay. Between what? Your um, favorites? I'll just go Pebble. Pebble for the Open yeah, Championship. Yeah. No, what about the the British Open? Oh, British excuse Open. me. So you got, we could say Riviera for the PGA. You have, okay. Yeah. I think Shinny that's what he's getting. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry I missed Open. that. No. Yeah, you, and then what would you choose for the for the Open Championship? Um, over there. Yeah. Um, I would say St Andrews because um, you know, I think I understand why people say you know they freak out at Muirfield, you know, in terms of the layout. But the thing about Muirfield is it's not nearly as scenic. It's not really on the water. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big uh, uh, fan of St. Andrews. Um, granted, it's gotten pretty small, but to me, it's just like a Hollywood movie set. And I cannot figure out how they haven't had a Ryder Cup there in our lifetimes. Because the thought of a Ryder Cup match ending on 17 there with those you know, spectator grandstands behind that, behind the road there. I just think, you, you know, you'd see guys winning holes with sixes and threes and God knows what, <laughs> and the road hole bunker. I just love to see that. They're having the Played Walker Cup. Played a pretty Cup. big role in this year's major yeah. Champ yeah. open yeah. championship. They got the Walker Cup coming there next year. Yeah, 2023. And then how about these kids? If you stay two years and you're an elite amateur, 2023 Walker Cup, St. Andrews, 25 Cypress. Unbelievable. Cool. Stay am. Yeah, stay yeah. am, fellas. You yeah. get paid as an am now. Why yeah. would you turn pro? Yeah. All, right, All right, that's the Bones lineup. That's a hell of a lineup. Right, I you. love the Riv call. Doesn't get it enough. All right, you've biggest. done a number of the playing lessons with the pros on Golf Channel. You've had the likes of... Max Homa, Wyndham Clark, uh, Patty Tavitanikit, Harry Higgs, can't lay many of them. I want to know whose episode took the most editing because I know <laughs> they all didn't just stripe it around their every hole. Uh, I will say, you get <laughs> up there with the one. Please say the one. Please say the one. <laughs> Please, God, be the right answer. 
Oh my gosh. Uh, oh my God. I will say we get out there with Cantley, and the first shot they've got him hitting in the whole process is a like a three iron par three there at the Bears Club, and he hit it to four inches. That was the I was that was real first that take. Was Dude, real. he stacked it to this. It like was like unbelievable. Into the wind. Of course he did. You know, and you think you're going to spend 45 minutes shooting this hole, yeah. and the guy I, hits it, yeah. hits it to you know that close, and you know you're moving on. Um, no, I, I, it, it, there's no question that if you're going to hear profanity come out of going to come out of my mouth, it's going to be at a playing lesson shoot because I'm the guy <laughs> making the mistakes. So I'm the guy that's constantly, you know, cu- you know, you know, tripping on what I'm trying to say and things along those lines. But we, we've had a good time. Max was great. Um, it's been fun. Did you have one in mind that you thought? We were hoping it was. I was hoping it was Wyndham, just so I could <laughs> dump on him a little bit. It definitely was. He's just too nice to say it. It's nah. definitely Wyndham in terms of. Like, was, I didn't like my hair. That's my bad side. All I remember about those shoots because they were in Vegas. At a, it was very windy and cold, and uh, we had a no show that week. Uh, but Colin Morikawa and Wyndham Clark were out there, and they were troopers and fantastic. And uh, we really appreciate them showing up. That's awesome. I can't believe can't lace. When I first saw, I turned it on. I was like, that's nine shots in there's no way that exactly. was straight out the gut yeah. and, and cantley i mean have you had cantley on the show yet no he's actually been wearing me out about that actually i said you know patrick on these podcasts we talk so yeah we, he, you gotta we, be able to we enjoy opinions he's yeah. unreal like i'm out there with him and you of course you got time and you're learning more about the guy and he told me this amazing thing that i love about him and i, I hope i don't get it wrong he doesn't listen to any music made during 1978 or later it's like 77 or before. There's like a specific bam okay, right this there. This is when music started to suck. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. January This is when they went to shit. Year. And just listening to him and, 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 and why he thinks what he thinks. I mean, that guy's a beauty and I love being so around him. So when he comes on, we're not going to be talking about music. I would love <laughs> to have, have no like clue. genuinely, he's the guy I would love to have on and for an hour and a half and not talk about golf one time. Because oh, I think man. his brain goes everywhere and has original thoughts on a lot of, I think he'd be a blast. This is just no golf, dude. We're going to talk about all kinds of you stuff. You hit the nail on the head. Original thoughts. And that dude is smart. Yeah. He'd be a fun one. Just he's zero fun. golf. We know your yeah. golf. You're real good. Let's yeah. talk about some other shit. He'd be awesome. All right. Reality show. This is what I was getting to earlier with all the caddies. Reality show is going to be made following around one current PJ Tour caddy for the entire year. Who's the best entertainment? Oh, my gosh. God. One? That is such a... You could throw champions in there, too, if you want to get... I mean, I will say this. If they'd have done it in 1992 and done La Cava, like, it would have shut down the TV industry because every... Nothing else would have been watched. It would have been working for Fred and, again, all that that entailed and the fun that they had on the road... You know, that would have been the easy answer back then. You know, now, um, you know, I think you got to go off the top of my head. You got to go Greller because he's such an interesting guy. He's this devoted dad at home. He's got two young children, but he has this awesome relationship with Jordan where like recently they we were in the Northeast for a tournament and Jordan's like, okay, you know, we're going to play Pine Valley tomorrow. And he's out there and, you know, you're out there with your rental clubs and your tennis shoes and you're slashing it around and having fun. And, you know, those guys... You know, between Jordan and, and Justin Thomas, and of course Grillo, those three guys, those guys have had a lot of fun. Can you can tell they can, they can tell a lot of stories about each other over the years, and I just like being a fly on the wall and listening to it. But but Greller is a is a fascinating guy, and to me, his backstory, the whole you know elementary school teacher and where he came from and how he got on the PGA tour. If I can just say for a second that he very early in our relationship, he showed me these photographs he had on his phone. And he said, this was from the greatest 
golfing day of my life. And I said, well, explain it to me. He said, well, you know, I'm a teacher, you know, I'm on a very, very, you know, small salary. I love golf. I'm caddying at Chambers Bay in, it, during the summer when the kids are on vacation. And, you know, I have very small savings in my, you know, my one goal in life was to step foot on the property at Augusta National. I'm like, okay. He said, so every year my brother and I, we would enter the lottery for practice round tickets. And so they do this in this one particular year, I believe it's 2012, they get the tickets and they have to basically spend all the money they have flying, you know, across the country, staying in a nasty hotel room, but ultimately going out there, stepping on the property and seeing these people they love, you know, players and a couple of caddies. And he would lean out over the ropes and take pictures of himself with these players that he loved. And he said, that was without question going to be the pinnacle, the greatest thing that ever happened to me within the game of golf. And then three years to the week, he caddied for a guy that won that wow. tournament. And I mean, that story to me, it says so many cool things about caddying. It says so many cool things about Michael Greller, and it just it just gives you hope. That's a cool He's story. He's one of my favorites. That's a cool story. All right, we can stay on the caddying topic, because I don't know if you know, Sleaze has actually dabbled in the caddy business a little I bit. Saw I it. did my so I saw his bones. He's colonial this year. Two PGA yeah. Tour events. He's mm-hmm. got a 20th and a miscut, so he's batting 50%. Okay. Let's say, let's say we put Sleaze on the bag for Tiger in 2000. Okay. okay. Let's go over these nuts. These numbers. 20 events played, 20 made cuts, 9 wins, 17 top 10s. No big deal. Good What's Lord. that record look like if Sleaze is on the bag and not Steve Williams? I can tell you right now. Yeah, let's hear it. It's a minimum 15 wins. <laughs> There might be five that we let slip through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. Probably a couple bad swings by him, but yeah. I'm not going to put that on my guy. But right. we went at 15 of them things. Easy, grand salami, no no yeah. question. We show up for big events. That's where I get my guys really ready. Right. You know, when the lights shine, yeah. that's when we shine. Yeah. So, How that, crazy is that, though? 20 of it, 17 top. I, Reading that out loud it's is just sounds stupid. fake. It, it, it really does. It was, it was amazing. And, and I remember, like... One year we got to San Diego and he'd, he'd won like five or six tournaments in a row. And he was, you know, he's trying to track down Byron Nelson's 11 in a row at that point. And I just remember getting to the golf course and you're used to seeing, you know, TV trucks or, you know, the NBC trailers or what have you. But like, you know, good morning America, you know, yeah, you just stuff yeah. that you don't see at golf tournaments or people that you see. I remember looking into the crowd once we were paired with him and seeing Aretha Franklin. And I'm thinking to myself, I get it, you know, you know, I, you know, if I'm, I don't know, maybe Aretha Franklin's the biggest golf fan in the world at the time, but I, you know, people yeah. wanted to see him, and uh, it, it was amazing. And to be around him at those team events where he would go to countries for the first time, and it was like the Beatles showing oh, up, shit. and 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 I, I thought Tiger handled it like a champ. Let me read off the finish to his year here, because his worst finish was tied for 23rd. His last that would never happen. His last eight events: first, 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 third, second. Tied for fifth, second, first. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, take just yeah. relax one week, bud. Maybe just slap it around a little bit. Yeah. No. I right. cleaned that up quick. I think you could have caddied for him in 2000. Up, I right. guarantee I could have got the kept kid his card. in the winter circle. Yeah, uh, been close, though. I used to get off planes and people would like cry. Like, that doesn't happen for golfers. You know, when they yeah. see him, they'd cry. Yeah. That doesn't happen for golfers. Yeah. All right, let's stay on my caddying here for a minute because I'm trying to get better. We got one of the greats here. I need to know this answer because I, I lost sleep over it at Colonial this year. Okay. My guy. Wyndham was looking good, well inside the cut line. Five holes to go. We finish up four over in the last five. Missed the cut by a shot. My fault or Wyndham's fault? What what, what kind of shots were we seeing down Just the Just dog shit. We couldn't get him to do anything. <laughs> Missing fairways? Yeah, that was 
just doing everything I could. I yeah. thought to do. I'm normally a good little coach, little yeah. rah rah guy, no, I, and I just couldn't stop it. I was like, yeah. "What is I'm yeah. blowing it? Yeah. Stop! Stop <laughs> short side! Just one par. Are we gonna do it? Yeah, it'll golf will break your heart, won't mm -hmm. it? I mean, it's uh, it's it's that game, and you know, it, whether it's in the caddy ranks, you know. Or the player ranks. I mean, golf can be cruel, and so but I it's pretty awesome too. But it can be, it can, it can be. Pretty All right, last awesome one, too. just because you you mentioned. So that was a Wyndham answer, yeah, by the obviously way. Obviously, I'm gonna answer for Bones because he's too classy. You mentioned Tiger getting off and seeing people cry and everything because they see him. Well, rumor has it some MLB managers have reached out to Bones and asked you not to come to any more baseball games because so many players get distracted when you're there and they want pitchers. <laughs> no, oh, God. Is this, are you on I that mean, level, no, dude? No. Rob Manfred might be calling soon. No. You're, you're not allowed in stadiums anymore. I will say that um, one of the more unusual things that I've had happen to me relative to being a caddy is Joe Scavron, our dear friend, and I went to a D-backs Colorado Rockies game several years ago, and because we knew one of the D-backs players, Paulie Goldschmidt, we went down for batting practice. And so, you know, we were leaving. It was time for us to get out of there and maybe go grab a beer and sit wherever we we're going to sit, and we're, we're now leaving the stadium as the Rockies are taking infield practice, and someone starts yelling at us. And so we're like, oh, oh, oh we're obviously in the wrong place, and we turn around, and it's one of the Rockies players. And the guy goes, you know, excuse me. And you know, we turn around and, and, and we walk towards him. And it's Nolan Arnato, this amazing future Hall of Fame, you know, wow. now third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. And he goes, uh, you know, you caddy for Phil Mickelson and you caddy for Ricky Fowler. And we look at this guy and we're like, you watch way too much golf on television. <laughs> but, you know, we were now meeting Nolan for the first time and Nolan loves golf. And it was the coolest thing because we all became friends. I'm friends with Nolan to this day. He came to the U.S. Open at, in Boston this summer and saw him there. But that to me, that's the thing about golf. Golf takes you places yeah. and everybody loves it, especially athletes in other sports, as you guys both know. And uh, you never know who you're going to run into or or how much they want to, you know, talk to you about what you do for a living and things like that. So, yeah, that was a crazy day and, and probably the, the mo most unusual place I've ever been recognized. Um, but love the fact I know Nolan now. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. What a game. Yeah. Bones, you're all class, dude. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks Thanks for having me, Long overdue, and that was a Thank blast. You. Thanks, brother. Great, Thank cool. you Thanks, so much. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that was our man Bones joining us on Golf Subpart. Just incredible storyteller. I mean, the things he has seen. Going, I mean, Phil Mickelson, one of the greatest to ever played. Now Justin Thomas. Justin sparking up this great friendship with Tiger Woods, getting to be around him so much. It's been a hell of a journey. This is the stories he can tell on podcasts. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not even getting the, the, the closed book versions of all this stuff. I didn't even, like, I kind of knew about the Bones nickname, but I didn't really. I knew Freddie gave it to him, but I didn't really know how. I was at the buffet, and he just didn't know, didn't know his name. Just started hauling out a bunch of random shit at him. And then I love the story. The first hole caddy for mm -hmm. JT where he hits it crooked. All right, move all the shit. You, gallery over there. You guys over here. We're going to need this angle clear. There's, There's a little, little window. circle up There's there. There's a two yeah. feet by two feet window here. We're going right through there. And JT, it's like, dog, I'm just going to punch out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I, I you know can you do, do shit that. like that. Yeah. yeah. People actually do don't that. You wanna, don't you want to risk an eight to maybe make a four? But it's Let's cool, it. man. I mean, obviously being best friends with Joe LaCov out there, his relationship with Michael Greller, Joe Scovran. I mean, They've got a hell of a setup out there, and I'm so happy for Bones being back on the bag with a great player. Like like you said, he was born to caddy. Yeah, dude. Like He was awesome, awesome on television. He had a lot of insight with players and caddies that you probably, you know, the average guy wouldn't know about. But, like, dude, caddying is his DNA. Like, that's mm -hmm. where he belongs. He belongs out there with those guys. And, and as fate would have it, one of the few bags I think that he would have left the broadcast no for. No doubt. 
came available and um shit it worked out and like that little dub they picked up at the pga championship this this year i gotta think bones played a role in that i mean it's just one of those calming effects um even guys that he's kind for on a one-off basis were like man it's like he's one of those guys like yo he's on the back like players actually want to you know, kind of show off we got to get him back for episode two because there's a lot more stories to get to with good bones. thing he didn't take that banking gig it could yeah. have been you know Worked depositing right. checks and handling overdrafts and cool shit like that big miss all Next right time. well let's get to some gambling we're yeah you are on a let's heater with the football it. i've been I'm doing dialed. all right but uh let's start with a little football okay a lot of big games obviously game day the frogs are involved. Go frogs! Got the Red River rivalry this week, Texas. A little bit of a downer, which isn't going to be near as exciting as we thought it might be going in. But I'm going to go with a game. I just love their coach so much, Mississippi State. Okay, there was one of two ways I thought you were going there. No, yeah. I just love Mike Leach so much. He's freaking hilarious. Great interviews. They're they're favored by seven and a half. I like buying the half down to seven, just because that little hook number bothers me. But I'm going with the Mississippi State Bulldogs this week. Who they got? They're playing the Arkansas mm. Razorbacks. Pig mm. Suey, who got beat up pretty good by the old Alabama. It happens when Bama comes to town. Yeah, I think I'm mean, coming off a tough game, an emotional game. I don't know if they're going to have it when they head down to play Mississippi State in Starkville. Hope Leach just gets long interviews I do too. before and after game. He's a treasure. Put him and Holgerson together, form the world's greatest coaching staff. Maybe Lane Kiffin, a little dabble of Lane Kiffin in there as well. Not All right, I'm going Hackett. back to the well, trying to get – yeah, exactly <laughs> – Going back to the well, trying to keep my perfect streak. Every week, I pick a game. It wins. I bet it. It wins. And then I bet seven other games throughout the day, and I never win another and one. And you go I one and six every cold, week. Cold, cold, <laughs> but my my picks on here have been hot. I'm going back to the well, dude, with my boys. The lights are on. Game day in Lawrence. Oh, TCU my. giving up less than a tub. Minus six and a half. All right, we're coming off the boat racing of OU. Everyone saw that. Could have put, put, put a 70-burger on them. But we showed some class. That's the type of organization we are. Pull back the reins. We're going in there. KU off to an unbelievable start. They got a program for the first time in history. It's the first time they've had the lights. They ain't used to winning games, much less being ranked and having Rock, chalk, marquee games. I think it's going to be a little too bright for them. I think my boys come in and make a statement. Giving up less than a tub on that. Got to hit TCU Horn Frogs at Lawrence game day. Stand up. Pat McAfee in the house. Oh, Pat McAfee is going to be having a time in Lawrence. Less than a tub. They're going to love it. They're going to show up down there, too. First time game day is there. It's going to be nice. All right. Well, on the PJ Tour, we got the Shriners open out in Las Vegas. Really great event. Anytime you get to go to Vegas, it's fantastic. Uh, decent field. Patrick Cantley, Max Homa, Sung J.M., Tom Kim in the field this week. For my favorite, he's the third betting favorite. And the guy's on an absolute heater. He's undefeated this year. He, he wins Fortnite. He goes 4-0 at the President's Cup. He beat me and Joe Griner. That's, Shit, that's rock. I mean, what things are going you pretty do, good. Dude. And he's going off at 14 to 1, which aren't isn't terrible odds for a guy that's playing as well as he is. Max Homa, let's go, baby. I was actually surprised he was third betting favorite. I get Cantlay being one, but then over Sungjae and a pretty decent gap in between the two. Mm -hmm. I thought Max would have been second. Hard to go against Max right now, the way he's swinging it and his confidence level. When in Vegas, you got to factor in external activities. I agree. Who's there to show up? You know what it's like up there. I got a guy... He just attended his first party ever, okay? And you know what he drank? Water. I was there. Okay? I was very the upset. The kid is locked in on golf. He had his, just had his coming out party, I would call it, at the President's Cup. Not the longest dude in the world. One of the best players on the planet. I think he's all business all the time. Got Joey Scovern out there for the first actual PGA Tour event on the back. I'm going Tom Kim, 30 to 1. I don't hate it. He could go low. He can, he can go low. You can win golf tournaments with quads on the first hole. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, a little further down the board, I got a guy at 40 to 1. 
You go back to the Corn Ferry Tour last year. Mm. In his last 10 starts, he has nine top 10s. The only one he didn't, he missed the cut in. No big deal. Don't really care. The guy is printing money. Started off the season. Third place at Fortinet. Tied for ninth last week at Sanderson Farm. This is a home game for him. Gets to sleep in his own. Sleeping in mommy and daddy's bed. house. Yep. He does still live at home with his parents, which we like to give him a hard time Mom, about. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. As long as he doesn't put too much pressure on himself to perform at home, I like him a lot this week to keep this thing rolling. Taylor Montgomery, 40 to 1. He's rolling. Rolling right now. Look for him if you can get some props out there. Rookie of the year. That's a good bet for him. I think he's a guy that'll contend for East Lake. He is he is rolling right now. All right, I'm gonna go a little further down the board. One of our boys here does like to have a good time, so keep that in mind when you're mm. betting him. But he's going off at 50 to one. Talent wise, I think he's incredible. I think it's just getting everything to line up. We've seen it in glimpses. He made it all the way to the BMW last year at, um, at the FedEx Cup playoffs. He's the type of guy that has East Lake talent. Uh, just getting it all to match up. I'm going Keith Mitchell, Ooh, bougie 50 Keith. to one. Hit that driver. Hit it hard. Hit it straight. He could be flicking a lot of wedges uh, around Las Vegas and just get that putter going a little bit. You're gonna have to go. Low. So you either need to be a great putter to make a bunch of birdies or you need to hit bombs and have a bunch of short irons in there. Keith is the latter. Tom is the former. All I know is if you're not playing well, we need some good Vegas stories from a miscut. That's what that's the goal this week every year. Yeah, they need to write. There should be a book written about guys missing the cut in Vegas or making the cut, as we know some good ones. Mm. John McGinnis came on and told a great yep. one about setting the uh, wake-up call for 6.15. Like, uh, sir, 6.30. That'd be right a hell of a book. Oh, I think okay. I'd be in there a well, little bit. I'm on the tee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Enjoy it. Well, that's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar.